May the words I say and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. You can just about set your liturgical clock by that gospel reading we just heard. For a long time, like centuries, many centuries, the story of Thomas has been the gospel reading set for the week after Easter Sunday, every year. And it's been the gospel reading for the week after Easter Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, for a very, very long time. Which in many ways is a really cool thing. Because it reminds us that while we join with millions of people around the world who are and who have and who will hear this reading and reflect on it this morning. We join with all those who have heard it for the last many hundreds of years and we join with those who will hear it for the hundreds of years or however long there is to come. It reminds us that we are part of the story that we heard this morning. Just as this reading is set on this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter Sunday, and just as we join with all those who hear this reading today and have heard it and will hear it, we are reminded that we're not alone in this enterprise, that we are part of something that is much bigger than just what goes on here at St George's or what goes on here in Tauranga or even what happens in the Anglican Church. Whether we like it or not, and sometimes we might not like it, we are in it with a whole group of other people, many of whom we don't agree with, but that's just part of it. On the flip side, it also means that us clergy have to preach on the same gospel reading on the same Sunday every year. And, well, most vicars get around that by having the Sunday after Easter off. And this is actually the first time I've had to preach on this gospel since I arrived here, and this is my fifth Easter. So, hunted through my files, and yep, nothing there. So, so what do we know about Thomas? who seems to be the anti-hero of today's gospel. What do you know about him? He's human. He's human? Yep. What else? Yep, so we know because he doubts. What else do we know about him? Well, those of you who know the gospel of John really well will know that in John 11... When Jesus and the disciples are talking about whether they should go to Lazarus, who is dying or dead, and Jesus says we should go, and the disciples say it's too dangerous, it's too close to Jerusalem, the Jewish authorities are after you, they will catch you and kill you, it is Thomas who says we will go and die with you. Not doubting but incredibly loyal and brave. He was the one that said, let's go. Not Peter, not John, not any of that inner circle, Thomas. And yet for some reason, we keep calling him Doubting Thomas. There is also a tradition that Thomas was the one who went to preach the gospel in India, which about... I mean, we all know about the ones who kind of stuck around the semi-Roman world. Well, he went far, far away, well beyond the Roman world. 
I have a friend, a colleague who lives in Peshawar on the Pakistani side of the Khyber Pass. And in that city there is a cross that has been there for centuries that marks the place where Thomas stopped and preached on his way through there into India. So, and the Christians who live there in the Kerala district claim their descent from the Christians who were converted by the preaching of Thomas. The church is called in some circles the Martoma Church. So, doubting, maybe, but also courageous, the one, one of the ones who followed the instruction and went. There's a few people arriving who didn't put their clocks. <laughs> so let's have a look at today's story from John's Gospel that gave him his name, Doubting Thomas. The story begins on Easter Sunday. And there are a lot of things going on, if you can remember back to last week, on Easter Sunday. There's a lot going on at the tomb. The stones are rolled away and Mary doesn't know where people have taken Jesus. Peter and the beloved disciple come running. One of them, they both see, one believes, but neither understand. So just hang on to that phrase. And then, well, Mary sees the risen Christ. And she goes back and reports that to the disciples. And when she sees the risen Christ, she's told not to touch Christ because he has not yet ascended to the Father. So she goes to tell the disciples, and what do they do? Do they go out and rejoice? Do they go and preach the risen Christ? Do they believe Mary? No, they hide behind in a room behind locked doors, in part because they're still afraid, and in part, I think, because actually they don't believe Mary. They doubt. They have exactly the same doubts as Thomas, I think. So there they are, behind these locked doors, not understanding, not believing, wanting hard evidence first. They, like just like Thomas, want to see his hands and his feet and his side. Why do I think that? Because suddenly Jesus is there in the room with them, even though the room is locked. Dispensing peace, and the first thing he does is show them his hands and his side and his feet. He wouldn't have done that if they didn't really want to see it. And they are glad. And then Jesus says to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. For the writer of John's Gospel this is Pentecost, not 50 days later. On Easter Sunday is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Although in John's Gospel there's no that in there. They still don't have Trinitarian theology at this point. This is the birthday of the church on Easter Sunday. So what do the disciples do? Do they rush out? Do they... Are they sent? No. They stay behind their locked doors. Why? Because they're still afraid. Still afraid of, well, we translate the word as Jews, but it really should be Jewish authorities or the Judean elite. The high priests and the wealthy Herodians who thought they'd got rid of 
Jesus, the leader, and, well, what do you do after that? Well, you normally try to get rid of the inner circle as well, and that'll completely wipe out the movement. Death lurks for them at every corner, and so they hide in their locked room. And then Thomas comes back. Maybe he went out to get the fish and chips, or maybe he'd just kind of given up. Maybe he had had enough of the whole deal. He'd had a whole lot of hope with it. And Jesus had died and that seemed to be the end. But then he began to hear some funny stories. And he wanted more evidence though. Just like the rest of the disciples needing more evidence. And so one week later, today... They're all in the room together, still afraid, still behind the locked doors, and Jesus returns to the room, offering peace, and inviting Thomas to touch and to believe. Now there's a really interesting thing that happens between when Jesus is with Mary and Jesus is with the disciples. To Mary he says, don't cling to me, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to the Father, but when he's with the disciples he says, you can touch me which most commentators say kind of implies that in that gap he ascended to the Father. So there's no ascension day either in John. He's kind of ascended and come back. And this kind of clear delineation of Jesus ascending to heaven and staying there is just absent from John's Gospel. The risen, ascended Christ is still around. So the risen Christ invites Thomas to touch and to believe, and he does, and he says, my Lord and my God, and he believes. But what does he believe? I'm really interested that we keep calling Thomas Doubting Thomas. There's an air of smugness about that name, isn't there? We look at him, all doubting and such. Not like, well, not like the other disciples. They weren't doubting. Only, well, except, if we're honest, they were doubting as well. And not like us, because we believe and we don't doubt, except, well, if we're honest. If we are honest, we are Thomas, and we do doubt. And if we're honest... Thomas is our man. He's our place in the story. Because if we're really honest, this resurrection thing is really hard to get your head around. It makes no sense. People have wondered about it and argued about it since, well, the resurrection. From way back then, Because at least with Lazarus, you could say he came back to life for a while. But Jesus, well, he did it all wrong. See, the Son of God is not supposed to die. And Christians have struggled with that for the last 2,000 years. And at times, believers of Jesus have kind kind of put that part of the story off to one side. Because... If you're the son of God, 
and God is all-powerful, the last thing that should happen is that you should be defeated and die on a cross. So we kind of rush through that piece of the story and quickly get to Easter Sunday where Jesus has risen and glorified and at the right hand of the Father where he should be and it's all back to where it should be except John keeps saying and the other gospel writers Jesus is glorified when he is on the cross not at the resurrection the German National Church during the Third Reich actually went through the Bible and chopped out the bits about weakness and diet, death and all that kind of stuff and just left all the bits about God being all-powerful. Because that's how it should be. But it's not how the Gospel writers tell the story. In the Gospel writers' story, Jesus does die, but then, unlike Lazarus, who comes back for a while, Jesus defeats death. And you could touch him, and yet he could walk through doors, locked doors. And, well... Which one of us doesn't have at least a question about that? Which one of us doesn't have a doubt or two about that? Which one of us really cannot explain what's going on here? In the end, we can't. We think we can, but the best we can ever do really is to be like the beloved disciple who believed but did not understand. The reality is that more often than not we're like Thomas and want more. Which one of us here would not like more proof? Thomas is us. He asks our questions. And he and all the disciples, including Mary, show us belief despite the questions. So what is belief? Well, the word is pretty misleading in the English language. In the English language, belief has come to mean that Thomas understood what it was all about and he gave his intellectual agreement to the idea of resurrection and now he's forgiven his sins and has life after death, eternal life. But that's actually nothing like what John was meaning. It's not even close. Belief in the Greek, the Greek word at play here, is much more about trust and loyalty, not intellectual assent. The best image is that of a baby snuggling into a mother, knowing that this person provides food and love and life. Ask a baby to define or describe what a mother is, and they wouldn't have a chance of doing that, but they know that this person is their source of life and food and love. And they trust that person deeply, profoundly, That's what belief is. Cleaving to God. And Thomas is our man because he believed. He cleaved and still doubted. He still snuggled, despite the doubts. Now the Greek in the command to not doubt, the word there isn't doubt, it's unbelief. And if you have an understanding of belief to be understanding, 
then unbelief is ununderstanding or doubt. And so the translators have translated that word unbelief as doubt. But actually, that's not what it's about. The word that when Thomas is commanded not to doubt, he's actually commanded to not unbelieve, to not not trust, to not not cleave, to not not be loyal. So he's able to believe and still have questions. He's able to trust and still have questions. One can have all kinds of questions. One can have all kinds of doubts and still believe, still trust, still cleave to God. I'm pretty sure as Thomas travelled through what we now call the Khyber Pass into what we now call Pakistan and India, I am sure he had all kinds of doubts and questions. There is a cable pass in New Zealand, but this one is far, far away. But he kept believing. He kept trusting. Trusting in God's presence. Trusting in God's generosity. Trusting in God's love. His relationship with the God of his fathers was built on that trust. And he lived his life on the basis of that trust. And he invites us to do the same, despite our doubts and questions. So let us give thanks for Thomas. For his doubts. The man who shows us how to believe and doubt at the same time. Who gives us a place in the ongoing story of Jesus.